You're listening to MHD Off The Record South LA Highlights, where I, Siobhan Taylor, speak with local organizations, small businesses, and individuals doing amazing work in South LA. Here, we uplift and highlight their work while keeping you informed of the resources available in our community. On this episode, we speak with Jay McAdams, Executive Director of the 24th Street Theater, a unique organization blending professional productions and world-class artists with quality arts education since 1997. Their mission is to engage, educate, and provoke young people and their families with excellent theater and arts education. Jay is a producer, having produced dozens of theatrical productions over the last 20 years and won LA Weekly's 2011 Production of the Year Award. He is also a graduate of the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and is a 2011 Leadership LA Fellow. Among his other leadership training is LA County Arts Commission's Arts Leadership Initiative, the Annenberg Leadership Institute, and the prestigious Stanford University Executive Program for Nonprofit Leaders, where Jay won a Center for Social Innovation Fellowship. Enjoy the show. So welcome, Jay McAdams. Hi, how are you? I'm great, and I'm excited to have you here. Thrilled to be here. So you have... You are executive director of the 24th Street Theater. Right. And I'm I've now I'm from the community. I'm from that area. Mm-hmm. And I've honestly hate to say this, I've never actually been to the theater. Shame on you. I know. I well, know. It's a there. shame. And I went to Manual Arts High School oh, yeah. and USC. Oh, wow. I grew up literally grew up like Vermont and Adams was my bus stop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what year were you at SC? What years? I graduated 07. Oh, yeah, we were there. I know. Yeah, we've been I there know. since uh, 1997. Exactly, which is why I'm so ashamed of myself. Oh, don't be. But don't be. since I've been researching you guys, which has made me so ashamed of myself, you guys have <laughs> actually been doing such great work in the community since the beginning. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about your founding. So how did you guys get started? Uh, the dean of theater at SC at the time, his name was Robert Scales. Uh, he wanted a professional theater in the neighborhood. So he invited some professional theater artists that we knew, John Weitzbunner, Stephanie Schroyer, um, down to you know look at some buildings in the USC neighborhood. And we found this great building. And then John and Stephanie, you know, asked me and my wife, Debbie, to partner. And so the four of us just jumped in. And we had no money, no board, and no clue about about what it would take, you know, to run an arts org. But now it's 20 six years later, and we've made a go of it. So so was the plan always to be a theater and an organization, or was the plan just to be a theater? The, you know, we were split. John Weitzbunner came from South Africa, and he knew about the market theater, you know, which did all that work with uh, Fugard, Atoll Fugard. Uh, and many people say that was a big piece of knocking down apartheid in South Africa. So John worked there. Uh, and and it's also very community uh, oriented the the market theater, so he al- already had that idea of community involvement. Uh, Stephanie w- is one of the best directors in all of L.A. She's a theater person, and she really was about theater. She wanted to do some cool plays in this cool building. And I was a young actor in my twenties. I was the same. Um, and then uh, my partner, Debbie, was like John. She really, for her, it was about community and kids. In the very beginning, we're hanging the light grid in the theater and, and the doors open and there's this kid uh, standing backlit from the street. He's 11. And he hollers in there, hey, what are you guys doing? And, you know, we all yell back, we're building a theater. He's like, will there be beer? 
<laughs> well, um, we're going to do shows. Will there be girls? So we climb down off our ladders and we go over there, Debbie and I, and talk to him. And, you know, we're trying to explain what it's what a theater is, you know. And he's saying, like, will there be a different show every day? And I'm like, no, there'll be a show and it'll last a few months and then it'll go away and another show. And we realized in talking to this kid that he just, he didn't even have a concept of what it was like to see a play. And Debbie and I had been doing theater in West L.A. at the Odyssey Theater for a decade, children's theater, for a decade you know, before that. And, you know, basically we were doing parties, birthday parties for rich kids, you know, in West LA. And Victor walked away and Debbie and I looked at each other and we were like, whoa, you know, they need us here. I mean, these kids have not been to the theater. You know, we could do, we can do some stuff here. And that was, that was the day I joined the two of them. And, um, you know, kind of became more theater, uh, more uh, community focused. Wow, that's really interesting because I can actually relate to that kid to some degree because mm-hmm. I hadn't been to many plays unless it was like a field trip when I was in high school. Right. And I think that was probably the only time I can remember really going to a play. And did you see something great that hooked you? I did see something great. I saw an August Wilson play. Ooh. Yeah. Where, at Center Theater Group? At the Taper or where? Taper, I think, yeah. in downtown. Yeah. Do you remember which one it was? King Headley, oh. the second, I think it's called, or something like that. I sat next to August Wilson at the Mark Taper Forum for, uh, I think it was to play Jim of the Ocean. So maybe a year or two before he died. And I couldn't I couldn't watch the play because I spent the whole time looking out of the side of my eyes to watch him. I wanted to see <laughs> him watch his own play. You were too, too busy fanning out, watching him watch his play. I, can I imagine. was totally fanboying out. And then... Afterwards, I think I summoned the courage to go up to him and, you know, like, thank him. And then he said, well, what did you think of my show? I was like, oh, my God, August Wilson's asking my opinion. Of course, what do you, I mean, it was brilliant what I saw of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I should have given him a review of him watching the show. That would have been that's funny. that's where my eyes really were. But I think I do think that's interesting, though, to be able to see a play, um, especially as a young person, it was like, wow, this is what a play is. Because as a little small kid, I, you know, I guess I've seen like skits at the library, uh-huh. you know, puppet shows. Right. But I, I wouldn't say that was even close to the same experience as seeing an actual production. Yeah, and a professional. And a professional production. Yeah. So I can absolutely relate to that kid being like, well, what happens at a play? Is it just right. something you, sh- you show something every night? What does that look like? Right. So I do think that Having something like a community theater is important. Now, I didn't know there was one down the street from my house that whole time. But <laughs> um, I do I do think that's really valuable. So I'm also curious to know what inspired you guys to go from just, okay, let's make sure we invite the community to let's go beyond just having productions to teaching about theater Let's have arts education. Because it's one thing to just say, oh, people around here, or there are young people here who don't even have a concept of what a full production looks like, what a professional production looks like. And to go from that to actually, let's teach them theater. Right. Well, it came from uh, the the community. You know, they, they as soon as we were open, uh, we started meeting families and working with the neighborhood schools right away. And, um, you know, it was just kind of 
it, it really, it wasn't so planned. It was kind of one step in front of the other, just day by day and things would evolve. And, you know, we wrote a grant to start an after school program. And now we've had that program running for 20, 25 years. So you started off as a nonprofit organization. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, we started off as a nonprofit. But again, you know, most most theaters have some little community outreach kind of component or children's theater or educational. But small theaters, you know, it tends to be a like a couple of, you know, young actors are going to do a class on a Wednesday afternoon or something. Uh, Debbie is, is, you know, I mean, we've been in arts education for a long time. So that was always our, you know, our, our charge because we believe that and we know this just from doing it for so long that if you show a kid a play that rocks their world they will remember it for 30 years i mean they'll remember the lines from the play i've had kids come up to me and quote dialogue from plays i've written and i don't even remember the lines <laughs> and i'm like oh my god they remembered the words you know in adults you can change their world for a few minutes an hour maybe a night even if you really you know grab them but, you know, the next day they're on about their business. Whereas a kid, it's a it can be a life-changing thing. So that's why we love doing that. In your experience, what has it been, what has been that thing that really grips young people when they watch a production? I think it's treating them like adults. Um, because our plays, we're kind of like, it's kind of like children's theater for adults, really. Uh, in fact, most of our plays have more adults in the house than kids, even though we're doing things intentionally, you know, for kids. But the material, you know, we write, we we do shows about death. The last show we did at last year at Twenty Fourth Street, and then we took it to the Wallace in Beverly Hills, was about. It started about uh, the war in in Ukraine, and then we mixed the um, when in, when they sent all the kids out of London in um, World War II when London was being bombed, they sent six hundred thousand kids out of London, and the only plan was put your kid on a train. They're going somewhere we don't know where, and they'll be taken care of. Now, would you take that bet with your kids? I would not. No. But everybody did, and it worked out beautifully. And it was, I mean, it's crazy that that, <laughs> that, that worked. Um, so we added that, and then we, you know, we'd been working on this for a couple of years. When the George Floyd thing happened, we added a racial element. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not your grandmother's children's theater. It's, it's, you know, much more contemporary theater, really, that we do. So the fact that you take real current events and real issues that they're seeing on the news, they're probably talking about or hearing their relatives talk about or their families mm -hmm. talk about it and putting it in a play for them right. to actually experience. Because I, and it's funny enough, I've heard this um, uh, uh, from people who work in children's television, that mm -hmm. some of the most successful shows are the ones that don't talk down to children. Yeah. That yeah. they're actually the ones that engage them right. on a, almost a peer level. Right. Um, and I think that's really important. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys do. Because mm -hmm. they're smarter than you think. And if you think back to your really early memories, like your earliest memories, you know, like three, four in that range, uh, you, you can probably remember a couple of profound thoughts that you had about grownups or, 
somebody dying or whatever it was, you know, kids aren't just always thinking about bubble gum and boogers, you know, so <laughs> they, they live in the real world and they see it all happening around them and they don't have the same full understanding. But our logic is if you show them world-class art up close and personal, they don't have to understand it. You know, if you're mesmerized by a kabuki dance because of the choreography and the colors and the, you know, the, the way the artist approaches it, it doesn't matter if you understand it. If you're four and we just mesmerized you for 20 minutes, that's the goal. You know, you can talk to your parents about it or whatever later and try to figure it out. But that's the goal is to hook them. Did you grow up in theater or watching theater? Or? I did not. I never saw a play until I was in college. Really? Yeah. So how did you get involved in theater? Well, I came, I, I was from Oklahoma, so I came out here to be an actor like everyone else in the world. Uh, and then, you know, went to acting school, met my wife. Uh, I, I auditioned for her, actually, is how I, how I met her. Back in the day when that wasn't so scandalous for a director to ask an actor out. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, my goal was just to be an actor, not to run a theater. And then it just happened. You know, that's kind of how it was in the 80s. You just did stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, looking back on it. Right. Like, it'd be hard to do it the way we did it today, you know, mm -hmm. because of just prices and people's attitudes, people, people's work philosophies. I mean, we worked, you know, for no money for years. A lot of, you know, just people just, you know, you'd get, you'd be in a room with these other artists and you'd all be, you know, working together as a team. And, you know, today it's much more... uh it's much more, it's, it's more tense, you know, when you get in a room with a bunch of artists, there's different, you know, agendas and different, just different perceptions of things, ages, you know, the younger generations, um, Gen it's, X. It was less individualistic, probably, yeah. in your era, yeah, that's probably well because you didn't have a choice, but to really um, work together, because it wasn't like right. now where everything is so much more instant. You have more access to things to do things right. by yourself. Mm -hmm. You really had to come together and work things out and figure things out. Yep. Um, and I, you hear this a lot with how things change, especially, you know, our, our, a lot of the young people now, they were raised with the internet. Right. Google already existed by the time my baby brother was born, right? right. Where, whereas when I was born, there was no Google. We barely had internet. In fact, there was no internet when I, when I was born. Right. So... I can definitely see that the work ethic, the way that you have to work in community is very different. Yeah. So your background in, you came to be an actor, but you also write and produce. Mm -hmm. And you actually have a lot of accolades, a lot of experience. And you decided to channel that into the work that you're doing now with young people. Mm -hmm. How would you say the experiences that you've had have enlightened your work with young people or impacted mm -hmm. your work with young people? Um, you know, I think making art, uh, and especially performance art, where, you know, the feedback is instantaneous, you're watching, oh, God, they're being quiet, do they like it? Or, oh, they're laughing, it's working, you know, or whatever. You know, artistry is just really important to us. So even if we're doing, you know, a class with kindergartners, sometimes we'll bring in a live musician to score the class. So that if we're going to tell a story or do some exercises, you know, it might just be simple. Everybody walk around and freeze in the tableaus, you know. Uh, but but that music makes it more of a show, you know. And so those kids' experience isn't just, oh, I'm alone in a on a stage with, you know, this person doing this, these, you know, walking around. There's like performance element. So. I could definitely I, see that. I think, you know, and I think it's part of that not pandering, you know, to kids. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that. And also I could see the ability to perform and animate yourself mm-hmm. and animate the space mm-hmm. being so engaging for young people and right. for especially for the younger children mm-hmm. being like, oh, this is, you're just, you're, it seems like you're talking about history, but at the same time, I'm so engaged and I'm so involved and, and, right. I, and I imagine it's very interactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, it is. I mean, we, you know, our children's theater doesn't really look like anybody else's. You know, we're 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 kind of an outlier. Um, I think if you came without having had this conversation and just saw a show, you would have thought, "What do you mean it's a children's theater? This is not a children's theater." Really? One time, I was on a panel at a theater conference about uh, children's theater. It was children's theater people on this panel. And one of the questions from the audience was, "How do you make your lobby kid friendly?" And they're, you know, the Dallas Children's Theater, the Minneapolis Children's Theater, and they're coming down the road toward me. And I'm panicked the whole time because I'm thinking, we've got nothing. Our whole lobby is for adults. It's not for kids. We don't have a small chair anywhere or all the arts up. And I'm panicking. And then I realize as it's coming closer to me and I'm having to answer it, that we didn't do that on purpose. You know, we didn't, we wanted our kids, even if you're five and you come with, you know, your family to have that experience of going to a real show, you know, not like, oh, we're in this little kid space and there's a little green carpet over in the corner. You can sit on and blow bubbles. You know, we thought, no, they can crawl up on the big people benches, you know, if there's a kid here. And so, you know, it's, again, it's just part of that. We just don't want to treat kids like kids. We want to treat them like peers. Yeah, like like humans and we want to be role models. So when they're, you know, when they're there for their after school programs, you know, and they're seeing artists running around and people are working on things and you know, everybody's it's like it's like they're in the club. You know. I think it's dope because they get to feel like they're equals. They get to feel like they're a part of a community space that includes them. Right. As opposed to feeling like this is a space where the grown-ups run everything and right. We're just supposed to follow the rules in the in order, which is what they experience in most of their schools. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I can definitely imagine. Yeah. What would you say is the impact of this sort of work on the youth, on the on the young people? <laughs> you know, uh, I the, the reason I was right up against the clock coming over here for this this show was because as I was on my way out of the theater, uh, a guy came in in his thirties and. Uh, said, remember me? I'm Angel. I used to live down the street. This is my daughter. I wanted her to meet you guy. you know, brought in his four-year-old daughter. And uh, we had him and his sister and his brother all in our programs when we first opened. Uh, that's the second time this week that's happened. So it happens a lot. You know what I mean? Because we've been there 26 years. So now we have hundreds and hundreds of kids that have grown up. And, you know, the sad news is the guy said, I drove by and I saw your truck. Is in the parking lot. I knew you were here. I have the same truck as I did 25 years ago. That's the saddest statement <laughs> part of why he came in. That's actually a good statement if you think about it. I know. On the way over here, I was thinking, God, what if I get a new car? The kids <laughs> won't know I'm here. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you look at even the work that you do and you're seeing them interact with it in that moment, mm-hmm. what are some breakthroughs that you've even seen? Because I know some, some kids probably come in shy. Very shy. Or some kids maybe come in with some speech issues mm-hmm. or... Some, Almost mute. Or even maybe some behavioral issues. What are some breakthroughs that you've witnessed? Uh, well, I mean, this week we're, we've been dealing with that where we have um, a kid uh, who... 
you know, is not mute. There's nothing physiologically wrong with her, but trauma and whatnot. And, uh, you know, barely, barely says a word. And we have another person like that. It's not that uncommon. I mean, we see it more than we'd like to. Um, who we just hired, who was one of our students as a kid. Then she went off and went to Cal State LA, got her degree. And now uh, we've hired her as our community engagement person. So you saw this kid who's having trouble expressing themselves. And then she's standing there talking to them, saying, yeah, I know how that is. I went through that too, but you'll get over that and blah, blah, blah. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a great uh, revolving door. I love um, that. We love hiring our kids, <laughs> giving them jobs. And this is her first job out of college. So, you know, she'll be able to put a job on her resume. I love that. And what are some of the benefits of even getting this experience? I know not everyone goes on to become an actor or a producer right. or a director or a writer. And they might not even want to. Mm -hmm. um, but we know that these things also develop skills. Like I've right. had artists who've been guests on our show and they talk about how, you know, the thing about painting, you learn geometry, you're learning chemistry, you're learning all these other skills mm -hmm. as well that can aid in academics or can aid in other fields of work. Right. What are some of the benefits of learning acting, of learning these other skills that come with mm -hmm. uh, learning theater? Acting is like a special sauce in that regard, the, you know, the, the field, because we're all actors, you know, and we all, you know, we have different, we act different ways with different people in different environments. You know, we act, we act all the time and you, you, whether you think about it or not, we all do it and you start doing it, you know, when you're a toddler and then, you get up, you know, you get old enough to go to school and then we kind of knock it out of everybody. Like, you know, line up, do this, do that, do that. And we all learn rules and how to behave in society, what we're supposed to do to stay out of trouble and this and that. So, you know, it's not like we're going to hand them a violin and say, play, play a song. It'll take them 10 years to learn how to play that violin, you know. But in acting, you can, you know, you can take a five-year-old and, you know, say, just freeze right there for just a second. Oh, look, you just made a tableau, you know just by doing nothing. Even the most resistant kid can do a tableau, you know? So it's it's quick and they pick it up quick and it's really about living. We're teaching them mostly social skills and confidence is, is really what it's about. We, we do not encourage our kids to be professional actors. <laughs> it is not a, it's not a solid career. I mean, look what's on, look what's happening right now, right? There's a Hollywood strike and everybody's desperate. So and even if there's not a Hollywood strike, everybody in Hollywood is desperate. So, you know, some of our kids do it, but, and they come back and like, they're so proud to tell us. And then we're like, oh, you're going to major in theater. Really? What, do you have a minor? <laughs> like a business minor or communications, something? What, but so that, that's a good question then. What are some other career avenues that can come from this particular field? Well, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of design opportunities. So lighting design, sound design, video design, set design, costumes. Um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the theater designers are now working in the amusement park world, you know, Universal, Disneyland, designing rides. Because, you know, if you think about like the Harry Potter stuff, right, that's theatrical and set-like. So if you're going to design, you know, the Harry Potter uh piece of universal you're going to want set designers you know architects too to make it sturdy and safe and all that stuff but you're going to want you know ultimately set designers to think of it and then you're going to want artists to execute it you know so it so it looks right yeah the reason why i'm asking that is because i know for a lot of 
uh, a lot of us who are from and grew up in South LA, the economics and the career opportunities that um, we're, we're always looking at that. We're always looking, mm-hmm. what are the things for our children that can right. help really build a foundation of looking at um, the ways that they can have a career in the future, that they can come back and build South LA and build the economy up. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was asking that question. Mm-hmm. So when people think like, oh, I want to enroll my kid into something like this, but how does this really lay the foundation of something for the future? Right. And I think what you're pointing out is great. Like there's all types of things that might inspire them. And really, and because there's, there's art, and and I think that's um, a lot of people don't understand that art is also viable in a career. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people think it's just something you do just to have fun yeah, and that's it. Kind of true food. Yeah, exactly. And I think we can also be honest and say art is something that is um, a viable career if we just understand those spaces and those fields. Because like you said, there's costume design in, all, in almost everything. There's art mm-hmm. in everything. Right. And we underestimate that. Right. And the generation that grew up online... You know, I, I often think about like my parents, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, pushing 60. And, you know, I think like my parents wouldn't have, you know, known how to do the social media thing. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have known how to write, you know, a witty thing about the sun, you know, take a picture of the sunset that they could do. They, they wouldn't have been able to market like that. Mm. And kids today, everybody in, you know, Gen Z and millennials, you know, both those generations have grown up knowing how to edit photos, knowing how to make video and cut video. So they're already ahead of the game in terms of, you know, building art, curating art, you know, their music, the video games that they play are, you know, very artful. So they're, in a way, they're, I think the younger kids are a little bit ahead in art making because mm. they've been doing it. That's a good point. That's a very good point. I think this is also a great space to channel that, right? So mm-hmm. how do we really lay that foundation so they can come back and build their communities as they develop these skills mm-hmm. at a place like 24th Street Theater? Right. Well, the other thing we're trying to teach them is about community. We're trying to to role model so that, you know, when they're talk, you know, when they're there, um, you know, we're talking about life stuff, not just you know, theater stuff. We're talk. We're talking about life through theater. You know, with using theater to express it. Oh, let's do a scene about that. But it's you know, it's acting out uh, things they're experiencing or thinking about, and you know, so it's not just you know, stand here, say this. Right, and I think that it's very clear that you take your role in the local community very seriously, and you and you understand that. That role is important because I like I like how you talked about it earlier that there are theaters who have like a community component, mm-hmm. but it's definitely front and center when it comes to your organization and your theater. So I'm also curious to know what inspired your organization's statement of solidarity. That's on your website. It was published June 1st, 2020. So mm-hmm. what inspired that statement? Well, the theater community nationally uh, and locally when when the George Floyd incident happened, and by incident we mean when murder. he was murdered by the police. <laughs> the murder, yeah. When when that happened, the theater field uh, took a pretty active role in it. And you know, most theaters, including us, have been you know are political in nature anyway. You know, I mean, even if you're doing Dr. Seuss, you know, which we don't, but but if you were doing that kind of work, that's political. You know what I mean? I mean, there's you could you could say it's political about you know someone who doesn't fit into society and so we were doing political theater and not just us but everybody you know it's not new 
that people are doing theater that's commenting on that event or any other real life thing. But theater took a real hard left turn then because what happened was a group of, um, I think, mostly millennial uh, theater makers from around the country, I think. I know a couple of them, but I'm not sure who they all were. But anyway, they wrote uh, a manifesto saying, you know, we're trying to figure out our role, what we can do to make things better in the wake of this. And we decided we're going to turn our gaze inward and, and, and clean our own house, which is the field of theater, generally. So that, you know, it, it happened all of a sudden. I think, I think 70,000 people signed that manifesto, including us, that weekend it was put out, um, you know, in, in solidarity and then did solidarity statements after. Because again, it wasn't a new concept. I mean, theater people, you know, theater, most people did theater, who do theater today did it in high school because that was the accepting place. That was the place where you could fit in and you didn't have to be a jock or a this or a that. Uh, I, I didn't go that route. I wanted to, but I was, a, I was too scared. And, and plus, in my high school, all the people were so nerdy in theater. I didn't want to, I wanted to be cooler than that. But uh, that was a long time ago, though. So that's, that's what it was about. And, and most theaters, um, a lot of theaters did that at the time. And have been, you know, there's been a lot of concessions and things everybody's been working on, different things. Uh, been a lot of change in the last couple of years nationally, a lot of the major theaters in the country. What needed to get cleaned up? Because you said that the, the point was to start in-house. So what was in-house right. that needed to get changed and that needed to get cleaned up? Well, the, you know, just just kind of the systemic stuff. Um, you know, most, most, you know, nonprofit theater for the most part started in the 60s when uh, Johnson was in and doing all the big, you know, the, the deal stuff. Um, and so they built these huge, like the Mark Taper Forum in almost every city in the country, they built these huge glass, you know, opera houses and whatnot. And the design was mostly that the rich people in the city would sustain these, you know, the, the city would build them, but then the rich people would be the ones who'd be the donors, not the poor people, the rich people made sense. And the people running them were predominantly white people because it was the 60s. So so that was one issue that, you know, was, was viewed as systemic in the field. Um, and I think, I don't think that has changed, re, you know, and if you just look at the whole, I think it's still mostly run by white people. But it, but there has been a lot of so it's been a lot of success, been a lot of turmoil too in theaters. We've had over fifty theaters, and I'm talking some of these are major theaters, like you know tens of millions of dollars a year theaters, not like mine, a little you know small theater. Um, close a lot of racial issues with you know uh, management against staff staff against board and i'm talking about all kinds of theaters uh, uh even in black theaters there's a black theater in baltimore that closed uh this last year and it was a i think it was a 30 year old theater and it's heartbreaking because you know it it is not easy to keep a theater going in the 21st century mm. i don't care what city you're in in america anyway maybe in europe but you know it's it's tough business so it sounds like the statement of solidarity was very significant in regards to really addressing the fact that, no, we have issues here within our own space, too. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a continuation. You know, I mean, one of the first shows we did in 19, I think it was probably around 1997 or 8, was an all-black cast of The Importance of Being Earnest, directed by Greg Daniel, who's a wonderful black director still today in L.A. and works around the country now regionally. You know, that's what I mean. It wasn't, it wasn't a new concept for most theater people about equity. I would guess that most of the plays that I've been involved in in the last 30 years have had a racial theme somewhere kind of woven into it. And that's been intentional because we've always viewed racism as one of the biggest things facing us. And one of the other things that I think is really amazing about your theater group is that, because you said this earlier, that you also have hired people who have been part of your organization, who've been participants as young people. Predominantly, the uh, people in your community are Latino. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that you've been able to hire a lot of Latino people um, into your organization, which means that that's part of the investment. That's Mm -hmm. part of, hey, we've invested into local community and we're bringing them into the organization as well. That's right. And we're we're one of the only theaters, ironically, that's doing Spanish language theater. I Uh, saw that, yes. You know, uh, my great colleague, Jose... Uh, Jose down at um, LATC, the LA Theater Center, does great stuff. But his audience, I asked him one time, uh, this is Jose Luis Valenzuela. I asked him, why why don't you do shows in Spanish? I'm doing shows in Spanish. And he said, well, my, my audience is mostly Chicano. You know, they're not immigrants. They're mostly Chicanos. So, and a lot of them don't even speak Spanish. So he does his most of his shows. He brings some shows in in Spanish. But for the most part, we're doing, <laughs> in a way, we're doing more Spanish language work than, you know, even some Latino theaters, because that's who our community is. And, you know, had we built this in Glendale, we'd be doing Armenian theater, probably. You know, it was just because of where we landed, you know, if we were doing it a little further further to the west or east, we'd probably be doing a lot more August Wilson and, and, and you know, doing, doing a lot more uh, plays written by black playwrights and stuff. So it's, it, and it took us a few years to get that because when we first opened, the neighbors who are mostly Latino started bringing their kids to our after-school programs and that kind of stuff, but not our nighttime plays. And then a few years went by and we were inviting people and they weren't coming and and then one day somebody just said, so you're doing Western European art for people from Central America. Make art that speaks to them and they'll come to it. Oh, oh yeah. Right, because oh, that yeah. is a very largely Central American population. Like right. we're from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. Exactly. And Belize are in that community. That's right. That's so right. And, I think that's, and I think that's very um, insightful. To really say, okay, the, where are we at? Who do we serve here? Mm-hmm. And being able to say, well, let's make sure that we're serving them and and not just ourselves right. and not just reflecting, oh, this is what I know, right. but saying, well, what is it that would actually benefit the community where we sit? And right. I think that's really wonderful. Speaking of benefiting the community, before we go, let's talk about some of these programs. You have an after cool program. You have interstage right field trip program. You have a teen program, a teaching uh, teaching artist program. You mm. have some wonderful programs. Yeah, <laughs> I went to your website. You have a list of just program after program. Let's talk about them. So, what's your after cool program? That's our free after school program for neighborhood kids. It's underwritten. Um, so the families pay nothing. They get a $1,500 scholarship. 
and we have about a hundred families um, each school year that we serve. So they're there for the whole school year. And then we have a teen leadership program that's part of that, which is, are the high school kids. So once they get up into high school, we start doing different classes with them. We hire a couple of them to work in the younger kids' classes that we give them a stipend uh, for. Um, we give them mock job interviews. We make them put on dresses and ties and make resumes and come in and we teach them how to shake hands and look people in the eye and ask questions, you know, at an interview. And I had a, I had a kid uh, in the neighborhood stop me last week and tell me uh, he got a job at Panda Express because of his mock job interview. Wow, because he knew exactly what to do. Yeah, he said it wasn't my first time when I did it. And he probably wasn't as nervous because he knew exactly what to do. Right. And what is the Interstage Right Field Trip Program? That is a fabulous thing, too. Um, it's a show that we made for schools about 20 years ago. 100,000 kids have seen it. And we're a 99-seat theater. So that's 1,000 shows <laughs> that we've done of, in schools. Is that 1,000 or I can't even do the math? Uh, I'm not a math person, uh, so I can't even <laughs> help you. We're in theater. We don't know numbers. <laughs> Uh, but it's, again, it doesn't talk down to kids. It's a fun, hip, interesting way to look at why theater exists. Because, you know, it's an ancient art form. I mean, especially nowadays in the video game era and everything. You know, I mean, when I was little, theater seemed like an old thing. Now, it's really, you know, I mean, it's an ancient art form. <laughs> it's 2,000 years old. And we just, we're doing less and less. We've lost probably at least half of our small theaters in the last five years in L.A. So um, it's a it's a necessary thing, uh, but but it's what we do is we hook them in there, and Jack Black, um, you know, talks to him in the lobby on video and about how he was a theater kid, and uh, my wife was his teacher when he was a seventh grader. Oh wow! And he credits her with his career, with his saving his life. He was he was aspiring to be a gangster. How do you like that? He was trying to get into a gang, but you know, nobody wanted this little <laughs> little white kid from West L.A. It kind of makes me think of when Tiffany Haddish said something similar, like she wanted to join a gang, and they told her, you know, get your goofy self on. You don't need to be in no gang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he was trying, and he was in a school, uh, you know, for at-risk youth that uh, my partner was working at doing theater. And, you know, he came in and found that he was funny, and people were laughing, and Hey, she started writing sketches, and I think she still has some of the sketches that he wrote. And you are also one of our Council District 8 Reimagined Fund community grantees. Yes. Um, so how have these funds been able to help you in your work? We brought, uh, I believe it was about 1,500 kids from South L.A. from uh, CD8 schools uh, for free, buses, shows, and a teaching artist in the schools in each classroom. So if four classes come, you know, one day to a show, that teaching artist would go out to that school the day before and do go to each classroom and do a workshop. So all that was free because it was underwritten by the council office. So, and they were, those were schools that, uh, most of them were schools we'd never worked with before. So we met new schools, kids met the theater, saw theater. So it was great. That's beautiful. That's yeah. amazing. You said 1,500? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's a lot of kids. And I'm glad that our, our the kids of our district were able to experience that. That's beautiful. Yeah, they loved it. We had a great time with them. So do you have any upcoming events or programs? 
We do. Uh, this Saturday is our Saturday Explorer series, which is another thing. It's a children's series. We've been doing, this is our 26th year. We've had, this will be our 105th show on Saturday. So 105, not different performances, but different shows brought in from all over the world. We've had all kinds of stuff. We've had, you know, music and dance from, you know, different countries. We've had poetry. We had the Watts Prophets. Do you know them? Oh, yes, absolutely. I've actually done are some work still, with them when I was still, a teenager. Still, still going? I hope so. I, hope I, so I did too. work with them when I was a teenager, so I hope yeah, so. Yeah, it's been a that while. That was a long they, time ago. It was like over 20 years ago. Yeah, that's that was, we had them in our early series too. Uh, but anyway, so we've got that going on uh, for all of September, so the next three Saturdays, uh, family shows. That's beautiful. Yeah. And also, um, you have your annual Dia de los Muertos coming mm -hmm. up at the end, actually November 1st. Right. Uh, second. Second. I apologize. We're purists. In, in Mexico, it's a Mexican holiday initially. And in Mexico, the, I'm probably going to mess it up. I think it's the first they remember kids that have died. So that's a little somber. You know, that's a little gut wrenching, right? And then the next day it's for grandma and grandpa and everybody else, which uh, you know, this is something, again, I've just learned from being at 24th Street. I knew nothing about Day of the Dead when we started doing it, only self-help graphics. They were the big, you know, thing in town. Now, every school, every library, everybody knows what Dia de los Muertos is. Coco, the movie Coco. So um, it's a huge event. Councilman uh, Harris Dawson is one of the co-sponsors every year. And they are really wonderful partners. And, and CD1 also. So CD8 and Hoover is our, our border. So right on the other side of the street is the other district. What can people expect at Dia de los Muertos this year? Great music. Uh, we have a huge outdoor stage on Hoover. They shut down five blocks of Hoover. Uh, Ferris wheels and merry-go-rounds. And uh, there's 50 food vendors. There's all kinds of vendors that sell masks and clothes and face painting and stilt walkers and dancing. So it's a really joyous uh, celebratory night, and it's a wonderful holiday. It's just, I mean, Americans don't have anything like it. I mean, it's just, yeah. No, you know, I I, when I first saw it, I thought it was like Halloween. But then you realize, no, it's not about scaring people or getting anything from anybody. It's about giving. So it's kind of like our Memorial Day, but without the morose, <laughs> you know, in a celebratory way. Yes, yeah, celebrating those that we've lost and people that we right, love. Right. Absolutely. So how can people support what you're doing, get involved, maybe sign up for your mm -hmm. programs? Uh, they can go to our website. Uh, you can make a donation there. There's, uh, you know, our contact information. We're pretty easy to find. So just um, look us up and we're we're happy to fill you in on what we can do. And we will have that information available for you guys in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jay, for joining us here as our South LA highlight. It has been wonderful. I know I learned a lot. I'm hoping our listeners have definitely learned as, just as much as I did, if not more. It was wonderful having you here. Well, thanks. I've had a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to MHD Off the Record. And special thank you to Felicia, the poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Lamert Park. For more information, please visit mhdcd8.com and follow at mhdcd8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.